Let's turn to 2 Kings in chapter 4. And we're continuing on with Elijah and Elisha. Well, Elisha specifically, because Elijah's gone to heaven by now. 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 1. Now a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord, and the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. And Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you, what, what do you have in the house? And she said, Your maidservant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. Then he said, Go borrow vessels at large for yourself and from all your neighbours, even empty vessels. Don't get a few. And you shall go in and shut the door behind you and your sons, uh, you and your sons, and pour out into all the vessels and you shall set aside what is full. So she went from him and shut the door behind her and her sons and they were bringing the vessels to her and, uh, and she poured. And when the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, There is not one vessel more. And the oil stopped. Then she came and told the man of God. And he said, go sell the oil and pay your debt. And you and your sons can live on the rest. We mentioned previously that Elijah was a forerunner of John the Baptist. That the things that Elijah did in terms of bringing the people to repentance... And also in terms of some of confronting the authorities were very similar to the ministry of John the Baptist. And of course Jesus said that, that John was um, a fulfillment of the prophecy that Elijah would return. But in the same way, as Jesus followed John, so there are similarities in the ministry of Elisha to the ministry of Jesus. And it's indicated in this particular story many of Elisha's acts miracles were acts of compassion he saw a need and his heart responded to it and he did the miraculous and we see the same with Elisha here Elisha in one sense is a type of Christ now in the story one of the prophets has died and his widow has been left destitute she's in debt It's either debt left by her husband or debt that she's accumulated to continue with living after her husband's death. And she's confronted by this circumstance where she's got nothing more to live on. She's got nowhere to go with this. Her resources have run out. Well, beyond that, she's in debt. She's in bad debt. And according to Deuteronomy 15, for a person in that living at that time, if they were in debt, the logical thing was you went to your debtor and said, either I... All my children will work for you for nothing as slaves for six years. At the end of six years, you can let them go. But their working will pay off the debt. Is that okay? Must admit, I've been tempted to sell my own children from time to time. <laughs> Might have been useful in paying off some of the debts. <laughs> Sorry, Josh. Um, But that was what they had to do. And this is what is confronting this woman. That she has to either sell her children into slavery, her boys into slavery to pay off the debt, or she's going to just become destitute. So, what is she confronting? She'll be without sons. But more than that, 
she will also be without further provision. Because for somebody living at that time, the only way of providing for themselves was, particularly for a woman, was that their husband or that their children worked on the land that they had as an allocation and got more money from the produce of the land or got more resources. But if she gave her sons away, she would have no provision left. She was facing destitution whether or not her sons ever came back from slavery. She was in an absolutely dire situation. She had nowhere to go, nowhere to turn, no options available to her. She's staring not just at poverty, but potential destitution and death. It's dire. It's a dire situation. Now, there is no obligation for Elisha, and that's Elisha, by the way, in case you didn't recognize him, tell by the bald head. There is no obligation on Elisha to act on her behalf. He's appointed as a prophet to speak forth God's word, to, to tell people what God was saying to them and to the nation. However, he doesn't limit his appointment to his office of speaking. He acts with compassion. He allows the compassion of God to fill his heart and he responds to the situation, the need that confronts him. See, in the kingdom of God, there is no room for limiting our role or for saying, that's not my job, it's not my concern, that person's problem has nothing to do with me. In the kingdom of God, we need to allow the spirit of God to let our hearts react with compassion to the situations we see. No task should be beneath us. No act that reflects the heart of God should be ignored by us. Our responsibility under the prompting of the Holy Spirit is to be Jesus in every circumstance. It's to look with his eyes, to reach out with his hands, and to act with his heart. We are the means through which God demonstrates his love in the world. Let compassion, let compassion move you to break out the box, to respond to need, to see that which is before you in another person's life and respond to be the answer to that person's prayer. You see... As Henry David Thoreau has said, and I think I've put this up before, the mass of men lead lives of quiet desperation. It's under the surface. But when people are faced with reality, what you see is desperation, need, hurt, desire, hopelessness. And all around us, all of the time, are people who are living lives of quiet desperation. And yet most of the time... We're too caught up in our own issues, with our own concerns, to notice the brother on this side or the sister over there that has needs. Perhaps our British reserve keeps us from asking the question or from wanting to hear the answer. We're trained to answer the question, how are you doing? Yeah, fine, thanks. Are you all right today? Yeah, I'm great. I, I tend to try and give an honest answer these days to that question. I try and think about it for a moment. So, yeah, I'm pretty good. Or, mm, yeah, okay, not so good. Yeah. But we're trained just to give that off pat. I'm fine, thanks. 
Be like Elisha. Respond into the compassion, in compassion to the needs of those around us, either stated or unstated. Hear the heart of the person beneath the glib answer. Now, how does Elisha respond when he sees this need? He begins by asking her what she has in the house to solve the issue herself. And she responds by saying, I've got a jar of oil. Is that any good? For most of us, a jar of oil wouldn't go very far to solve our needs. But oil was a crucial commodity in, in, uh, at the time in, in the ancient world. It was there for light, for cooking, um, for all kinds of uses, for healing. And what she has, that which she has, which she's willing to make available, becomes the basis for her miracle. When we cry out to God for help, the first thing he asks us is, what do you have? What have you got in your resources that's available for me? What resources of our own do we have that can be used by God to perform a miracle either for ourselves or for those around us? Do you have resources that you're holding back? That you say, no, no, that's not available, Lord. I'll keep that for myself. That could be used to bless others. In James chapter 2, James says this. If I can get there. James chapter 2 verse 14. What use is it, my brethren, if someone asks, says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? James emphasizes that if I've got something, and this person over here hasn't, I can't just say, well, get on with it, you know, everything's all right, life's good. I've got to respond. I've got to do something with it. Out of my substance, I've got to help that person wherever possible. You see, if I am open and honest and everything I have is available for the kingdom of God, I might be someone else's miracle. I might be the answer to someone else's prayer. I might be able to be that thing which changes a circumstance. George Muller was a man of faith. And there is a story, um, the plenty of stories if you read his book, but I just wanted to pick out one story from the life of George Muller. It goes like this. The children are dressed and ready for school, but there's no food for them to eat. The house mother of the orphanage informed George Muller. George asked her to take the 300 children into the dining room and have them sit at the tables. He thanked God for the food and waited. George knew God would provide food for the children as he always did. Within minutes, a baker knocked at the door. Mr. Muller, he said, last night I could not sleep. Somehow I knew that you would be in need of bread this morning. I got up and baked three batches for you. I'll bring it in. Soon there was another knock at the door. It was the milkman. 
His cart had broken down in front of the orphanage. The milk would spoil by the time the wheel was fixed. He asked George if he could use some free milk. George smiled as the milkman brought in ten large cans of milk, which was just enough for 300 hungry, thirsty children. Two men who were willing to be the answer to someone else's prayer because they were open enough and willing to act with compassion in a circumstance. We can be the answer to other people's prayer. It's a matter of listening and being open-hearted and responding with the substance that we have. Maybe just an arm around the shoulder, but maybe something more. We can help answer other people's prayers. In order for the miraculous answer to prayer here, there needed to be people willing to give of their resources. You see, God doesn't work in a vacuum. He could just magic stuff up, but he chooses to work and partner with you and I. He chooses to work through us and with us so that we can be part of his miracle in someone else's life or even in our own. So there we have the miracle in the story. The widow gathered all the vessels she could from her neighbours and from her own kitchen and went into a house and began to pour out the oil. And as she's pouring, it's not running out. So she pours and fills one vessel. She pours and fills another vessel. She pours and fills another vessel. And then she says, boys, bring all the vessels you've got. And they come running with their vessels. And she's pouring and she's pouring and she's pouring. Until finally she says, bring another vessel. The boy says, We've got none. And the oil stops running. Sounds to me something like uh, Sorcerer's Apprentice, you know, if you've seen that film where <laughs> he's chopping the, the broom and the bu- broom's bringing lots of buckets and it's all overflowing. That's what it reminded me of when I read it um, this morning. But it's a matter of the fact that the oil was being poured. What did it take for her to achieve Her miracle, what did she need to do? She needed to act in obedience to the word of God. Obedience is important. And if we want to be in the place of blessing in God, we have to walk in obedience to him. It's a divine principle of scripture. Obedience leads to inheritance. Disobedience leads to to disinheritance. And I'm not talking about a place in heaven or not here. I'm talking about living in the blessing of God. If we want to live in the blessing of God, we have to be those who are listening, hearing, responding, walking in obedience. When we live in obedience, we live in fellowship with our Father. And out of that relationship flows all the blessing that he's already reserved for us in heaven. She could have turned around and walked away from Elisha saying, don't be ridiculous, oil's not going to do anything. How can that help me? But instead she acted in simple, faithful obedience. And she received the provision God had for her because she was willing. Philippians 4, verses 10 to 20, lays out for us the God... God's promises of provision and concludes with the verse and my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus how many needs will he provide my God shall supply 
all your needs. There is nothing beyond his scope. There is nothing outside of his remit. There is nothing in which ways in which he doesn't want to bless us in terms of our needs. His promise is there. The promise of provision is there for you to tap into. Just need to walk in obedience to the will of God. We can stand in faith on that promise. However, we must be willing to be the means of provision to one another. And Paul in that passage in Philippians commends the Philippians that they've been a means of support for him materially in his ministry. Often when I'm in India, I've heard in the past the prosperity gospel preached, which goes something like this. You come to God and if you've got faith, God will bless you, bless you not just with your need, but with everything you, you can imagine. And so you've got all these people being disappointed because it's a lie. God may bless us with much or he may bless us with little. But our dependency for, on those, for those things must not be on him. Our dependency upon him is for provision. Because that he is faithful to. My God shall supply all your needs. And this is what the woman experienced. She had this massive need. God provided. Miraculously. But in response to her obedience. And the woman woman took the oil that had been miraculously provided and in accordance with the instruction of Elisha, she sold it and paid off her debts. Was able to live off the profits and God gave the miracle. But she had to respond practically to receive it. Now you and I have oil in abundance. Not necessarily that kind of oil. But if we come to faith, we have the oil of the Holy Spirit within us and upon us. Many of us can keep our oil in a jar and just get it out on a Sunday morning. And yet live in spiritual poverty. We might bring the jar out when we're here, but keep it hidden through the week. But God has not given us this deposit of the Holy Spirit to be kept hidden away, but to be poured out into the vessels of those who are around us. You and I have the oil that can be a blessing to others. In the narrative, the woman poured out her oil into her neighbor's vessels. In the same way, we need to be pouring out the oil into the lives of those around us. And there are three lessons here. Firstly, the oil will not run out. Your oil will not run out. There's not a deficiency of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's been poured out in abundance. You have oil. The oil from the widow's jar eventually stopped flowing when she ran out of vessels from it. But our oil will never run dry. He has been given us as a continually flowing fountain. Sometimes by our lifestyles and by our behavior, we can stop the flow. But once we unblock it, it does not cease. 
How is the flow of the Holy Spirit's oil in your life today? Has it run a little dry? Has it become blocked? Today is the day to take the block off. To take the cap off. To unleash that oil that God has placed within your life. Let it flow once more. Let the oil billow up within you so that you can be a blessing to yourself and to others. Let the oil be poured forth from you that you can fill up other people's vessels that they might be blessed. Let the oil flow. Secondly, the oil is given for a blessing. The Holy Spirit has been sent to bring us into the fullness of all that Jesus is. He has given us to comfort us, to lead us, to guide us, to reveal Jesus to us, to equip us, to empower us, and to glorify God through us. We all need more of the Holy Spirit flowing in our lives if we are to complete all that God has for us to do and if we're to become like Jesus. Make room for the oil of the Holy Spirit today and let him flow through you to others. Then thirdly, the oil is a deposit of future hope. Ephesians 1.13 says this, In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance or a guarantee of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. Now what Paul is saying there in one of his packed sentences as usual is because you've got the Holy Spirit living within you because you've come to faith, that's the guarantee that one day you're going to be completely redeemed. You have future hope. You have future destiny, which is confirmed because the Holy Spirit is here right now in your heart, working through you. He is our future hope. He is the one who guarantees that the work of Christ will be completed in our lives. So we can live now with a sense of purpose in God as we know our future destiny is secure in him. This week, let the Holy Spirit's oil flow through you. As you experience God's provision in all things. Let him lead you to be the answer to someone else's prayer. Because you can also be that person's miracle. And just as I conclude. I'd like to encourage you. If you want to be prayed for. For that oil to flow. Then we'll be here afterwards. We'll be here to pray and just to stand with you that the oil of the Holy Spirit that God has placed within you might flow and that you might be able to be a blessing and be blessed Father just as we bring things to a close Lord help us to tap in to your oil the oil of your Holy Spirit help us Lord God to remove any blockages And Lord God, may your Holy Spirit's presence be with us this week, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.